Good morning. Uh, hospitality, the church. <clears throat> hospitality, the church. I've been, uh, since about Wednesday night, uh, starting college ministry. Uh, start, we're teaching through the book of Colossians. And somewhere Wednesday night, it started going south right here. And so I only get sick about one, maybe two times a year. And this is my one. So nice little sinus infection. So I feel like I sound like I'm in a drum. And I feel like I've been beaten with a stick. And so I'm not... I don't have a fever, so if you've shaken hands or bumped elbows with me, I didn't make you sick, I promise. Uh, but I feel like trash, so uh, I'm going to try my best to get there this morning, and uh, trust it, the, the Lord is powerful. Um, hospitality, the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 to 2 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. I haven't really dealt with this word, and it's sheer meaning, but the word hospitality is literally phileo xenos, philozenos, made up of phileo, which is one of the Greek words for love, meaning brotherly love, xenos, stranger, friendly love towards strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Several years back, some of you guys will remember this, I lost about 10 years worth of writing. Sermons, manuscripts, participation in various books that have been published. Uh, I don't get credit for that. Uh, I just get to be part. Um, I don't even get any money off it, man. What a rip. Right? I lost about 10 years worth of writing and uh, I was really bummed about that. I mean, it was very emotional, you know. Uh, and, uh, and I mentioned it in the service and that particular morning in that service, there was a guy who visited, uh, he was very kind. He was alone. He was by himself. I struck up a conversation with him and we chatted for a little bit before the service and very kind, very calm, very pleasant. And after the service, he gave me a handwritten note and that note said, uh, and I still have this in a file. God is treating you as a son through this. Lift your head and be strengthened. I've never seen that guy before. Never seen him since. Now, could that be a Hebrews 13, 1 to 2 kind of person? I don't know. Some of you are probably sitting there going, man, that's my crazy uncle. You don't even know. He just showed up that morning. He crazy, man. I can't even believe you think that. I don't know. What I do know is... That handwritten note lifted my head. And we engaged and I treated him well. And I mean, I try to treat everybody well as best I can. I fail. But on that particular instance, who knows? Was that a Hebrews 13, 1 to 2? What we do know from this passage is God sends his messengers, his angels, every now and again into our lives. And so the writer of Hebrews tells this struggling people, this persecuted people, particularly contextually in Hebrews, to not neglect, even in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your hardship, don't forget to show kind, brotherly, pleasant love to strangers. Because in so doing, there have been times you've entertained my messengers and you don't even know it. We've said the definition of hospitality we want to work from is the friendly and generous reception and care for guests 
Because that is what God does. It is built into the nature and character of God. He is a welcoming God. He is a hospitable God. We've said hospitality is not one big thing. Hospitality is a thousand little things. That come and are manifested out of a welcoming heart. Well, if we're talking about hospitality, we've said it's the nature of God. And we've talked about it being an issue of our home, not our physical house, but welcoming people into our lives. And then this week, it's hospitality and the church. Next week, Pastor Jim is going to talk about some nitty-gritty issues of how we display that. But today, when we talk about hospitality in the church, I want to start, and I don't want to spend a ton of time here because this is a sermon in and of itself. I've got to ask the question, what is a church? And again, that's a sermon. Uh, that's, a, that's a couple of chapters in a systematic theology. But if you're looking at the blog, MitchJolly.com, the notes are there available for you. You can see four points. I'm going to hit these very quickly because this is not the point of the sermon, but I want to hit this because it matters. If we're talking about hospitality in the church, then I don't want you confused about what a church is. Your small group is not a church. Okay, If you want to talk about being a member of the universal church, if you're in Christ, you're a member of that church. Whether you attend a small group or not, your small group is not a church. It's just not. So don't call it that. Don't say, that's my church. No, it's not. A church is a local group of Christians, and it has to be local. Like This universal church reality is true. But it has to be manifest. And you see that in the Bible in letters written to churches on the ground in cities to real people gathered together doing real stuff, right? So the local church is a reality. It has to be manifest. It's a local group of Christians. Number two, they gather regularly because they did in the Bible. Number three... They exercise congregation-wide affirmation of membership in Christ, which is the covenant basis off which, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they could hold one another accountable to holiness. You can't do that in small group, not connected to a vision, connected to biblical oversight through pastor, elders, overseers. You just can't. And so there's a standard set for congregation-wide affirmation of membership in Christ and oversight of that membership. And then that body, whether it's broken down and meets in small groups, which it should, because there's no way we can do all of the church's stuff right here on Sunday morning. It's impossible, practically. That church then represents Christ and His rule on earth. And that's a loaded statement. Don't have time to unpack it. But that church represents Christ and His rule on earth. And so, therefore, as a result of that, they gather in His name using the means of preaching God's Word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper for these purposes. Right? And so, the sacraments, or if you don't like that word, the ordinances, the preaching of God's Word, representing Christ and His rule on earth through the Great Commission and evangelism, disciple-making, gathering together, exercising membership... An oversight and regular gathering. That's a church. And so with that, we're talking about what does hospitality inside that look like? Well, in case you're wondering, it's impossible to do all of that in the time we have. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to pull out some major issues, some major things. I'm going to share them with you. And then again, next week, Pastor Jim's going to get nitty gritty and how that gets exercised. So what we're doing here in the next few minutes is arguing from big truths about what the church is, who she is, and her identity. And there's some metaphor in here. And then just some practical stuff all the way down to in the dirt application. As my friend Kevin Brown says, pastor in Philadelphia, uh, African-American pastor, says when we're dealing with issues of race and issues of national things, he said, you got to get naked and roll around in it. And so we're talking about just rolling around in it this morning. We're talking about some nitty gritty issues of just rolling around and what does hospitality look like inside of a church. Number one, and this one is a metaphor from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. The church is the household of God. So we start by making sure God is welcome. Listen, hospitality, because remember we started by speaking from the truth of Jesus welcoming to himself people. And the fact that he is going to judge us and our faith based upon its manifestation in welcoming the outsider. Remember that from Matthew chapter 25? Because it is the nature and character of God and therefore the basis off of which we will be judged and the fruitfulness of our life and our faith in Christ will be judged. Is that the church is the household of God? So we start by making sure God himself is welcome. Listen to Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure What's this structure? The household of God, the church in whom the whole structure being joined together. There's Together, these passages are meaty, by the way, glorious, Ephesians, Colossians on the identity of the church. I would, I would say this, this is so off the point, but our ecclesiology in the West is weak. It is weak, ecclesiology, meaning study the logi, the word about the church. That's what ecclesiology means, it's a word, a teaching about the church. We have a weak ecclesiology. It's terrible. We can't even define what a local church is. Most Christians in the West don't even read their Bibles. And then they want to make affirmations about what the church is. Okay? Our ecclesiology is weak. The Bible's ecclesiology is strong. It's strong. And it's convicting. And these, these passages Paul is writing from churches to churches is key. He said, whom the whole structure joined together... Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together. So this truth about what the church is. And you also, church at Ephesus, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. So the local church is a dwelling place. It's the household of God by which He makes His presence known in us by the Holy Spirit. That's some deep, rich, spiritual stuff. Meaning the local church is the household of God. And if we're the household of God and He has joined us together and we're growing up into Christ, then that has to be manifest 
in ways that we make sure we welcome the Holy Spirit in this place. How do we do that? Because here's the deal. Impersonality, not being personal to people, could be evidence of godlessness. Because the God who is a welcomer, and if He makes His presence known by the Spirit in us, there should be a manifestation of hospitality and welcoming people. And so we start by welcoming God who is the welcomer, who through us will be a welcomer of people. So maybe, maybe since we're the household of God, we make personal preparation with right heart attitudes. Maybe we check our heart at the house before we leave. Maybe we check our heart in the car before we get out and walk inside. But we get the attitude in check. And we get the mentality in check. And we start by welcoming the Lord. Maybe it starts by getting up a little earlier to make sure we're receptive. Here's the thing that blows my mind about the just getting down rolling in it, okay? We treat the church worse than we treat our own jobs. Because I promise you tomorrow morning you ain't going to roll up into the job 30 minutes late, not prepared. And if your employer makes you wear a certain kind of shirt, you're going to have it on, aren't you? If you're supposed to have on a name tag, you're going to have it on, right? Because they will send you home. Or you won't get paid, right? And so you get that attitude in check. And if you're supposed to be at work at 8, you're rolling out of the bed at 6. So you can get up, get some coffee, get a shower if you need it, do what you got to do, shave, go to the bathroom, do everything you need to do to get ready. And if your commute's 30 minutes and you're supposed to be at work at 8, you roll out the house at 725, don't you? Why? Because you're checking yourself. Who's going to check you? You're going to check you. And you're checking yourself, getting ready to make sure I am prepared. So your heart's prepared, your mind's prepared, and you're ready to clock in and go to work. Well, why is it we do that for our jobs, but this very real reality of who the church is as the bride of Christ gets like 10th place on the list of priorities in our heart? But we roll up in here with an attitude that is ready to express welcoming to the Lord. Lord, I prepared for you today. I actually opened my Bible to see what you would have to say to me today, Lord. I want to hear from you, Lord. I want to repent because of the way I treated my wife. Or I want to repent because of the way I treated my husband. Or I want to repent because of the way I treated my children. I want to repent because of the attitude in my heart. Because I want to walk up into this place where your presence is thick. And I want a piece of you. Because without you, I don't survive. And so we make personal preparation through right heart attitudes. We make sure we're connected to the head, Jesus, and growing up into Him through real, live people we're connected to in the fellowship and who are growing up into Christ together. This language in Ephesians chapter 4 is, is absolutely astounding, blowing my mind. Christ is the head. And every joint and ligament is to supply something to one another as we grow up together into Christ through these ascension gifts. The only place in the Bible, the only place in the Bible, five specific gifts are mentioned coming from the Lord Jesus himself in his ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father. 
And these five ways we are joined and knitted together are to be exercised in the body. So maybe we welcome God by making sure we are connected to the head Jesus and growing into Him through others as we serve one another. In other words, making sure we're welcoming God by being connected to each other. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as isolated Christianity. There is no Jesus without the church. These yous that Paul uses in these letters to the churches are plural. Not you singular, but you plural, meaning all of you. Right? So we make sure maybe we're working out our gifts from the Holy Spirit for others. We obey God's word. We repent of sin. We seek the Lord's presence in holy living together on mission. We show up and we do so on time to prepare for the Lord. Listen, do, do you not realize that the Lord is here? That you Listen, you did not come to get a dadgum thing this morning. If you did, you're here for the wrong reasons. You came to bring Him something. You should have showed up today to give Him your best, not in the clothes you have on, but in the hard attitude that says, I am yours. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You may test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? And he said, Paul says in that passage, and this, right here, this is your living sacrifice. You offering yourself up like that, that's your worship. So guess what? You didn't come here to get good preaching, good worship, good Lord's Supper, good corporate prayer. You came here to give Him something. So the question is, are you welcoming welcoming Him by giving Him something? Did you come with a gift today? And I don't even mean your money. By the way, you don't give to the Lord. He'll take it from you. It's His anyway. I ain't got to talk about giving. That's His money, not yours. Not ours. It's His. So if you don't give to Him, He's going to get it. Right? I'm talking about what did you come to bring to the Lord today out of the heart? Because when we welcome Him, then guess what He will do? The welcoming God works out through His people to welcome others into the kingdom. So we start by saying, as the household of God, have we welcomed the Spirit of God into our presence today? That's where we start. Number two. The church is the place for all nations. The church is the place for all nations. So we want to make sure that all nations are welcomed. In Mark chapter 11 verse 17, Jesus quoting from what he gave Isaiah in chapter 56 verse 7. This is, you, you always have to remember. You always have to remember when Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, He's quoting Himself. He is the God of the Old Testament. He is the God of the Bible. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. For by Him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Whether invisible or, or visible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him, by Him and for Him. Colossians chapter 1, right? And so when Jesus is quoting Himself here. He says in Mark eleven seventeen, and he was teaching them and saying to them, well, context, Jesus just got fired up about the fact that the Jewish people had taken the temple and they had, because they were supposed to come and offer sacrifices, they decided this was an opportunity to make some money. 
And so they set up on the outside of the court, which is where the nations were supposed to come and worship the Lord. And they set up in that place a market to provide sacrifices for people who didn't have sacrifices. You can come and worship and buy your turtle dove in the place where lost people were supposed to be able to come and worship the Lord and find the Lord. And so they were selling and buying and Jesus is fired up and he's knocking this stuff all over the place. And he's teaching them and he's saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Woo! This is a place where lost people are to be able to come and find me. And you've turned it into a way to make a buck. You've made an economy out of it. You're selling t-shirts, pendants, albums, and you're making money on my dime when this is the place where the nations are to come and find me. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This is the mission. This is the purpose. And the church is to be a place for all nations. So therefore we make sure all nations are welcomed. And listen to me carefully. That's not just saying all nations are welcome. I ask a question here in my notes because the answer to the question is deeper than we have time to explore this morning. But I want to stick this question in your psyche because I want you to begin to work it out. And we're going to address it in the coming weeks and months. Particularly for All Saints Day as we will talk about Martin Luther King Jr. And this 50th anniversary of his killing. We talk about the civil rights movement. We talk about our country. Don't just slap the word gospel on top of it. The gospel has implications. We love the idea of the justification of God for sinners, don't we? We should. Right? Jesus in my place for my sin. God punishing the Son in my place so that He gives to me all the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. That's good news. But do you not understand the root of justification is justice, meaning God did justice. God did justice. Meaning God loves justice. Do you know what justice looks like for minorities? And don't pretend like you do unless you are a minority. The gospel has societal implications. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That love your neighbor part is societal. There are systemic challenges that keep us as a predominantly white congregation from recognizing that on the deep levels that we don't see that people don't feel welcome. 
And it's because we just don't know because we don't sit in the minority place. So here's the question. Is there anything in our unseen set of cultural rules? And listen, Drucker says it perfectly. He's a business guru guy. He's a smart dude. I don't think he's a Christian, but he's smart. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture are those set of unseen rules that rule and that lay down laws that people see and feel, and the only way they see them and feel them is when they walk up in the middle of them. Culture is strong. Culture is powerful. It's it's, it's set by the majority. It's set by those in power. And is there anything in our unseen set of cultural rules that keep other nations, other peoples, other races from being significant in our fellowships in the West? Because if all nations are to be welcomed, we need to welcome them. And it's more than putting out a sign saying, welcome. It's, come in and be welcome to lead me. I'm going to ask you a hard question. This isn't in the notes. But if there were an African American or Hispanic man standing here preaching you today as your pastor, would you submit to them? And if the answer is no, you're in sin. And so is there anything in our unseen cultural rules that keep outsiders on the outside? This is the kind of stuff I ask and the reason people call me Marxist on the interwebs. I'm like, I don't even know what that, I'm not a Marxist. (laughs) But the gospel has implications. How we treat people. And how we welcome people. There are hospitable issues buried up in this glorious gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. He's not just saving people. He's saving all of created order. And he's redeeming all things and bringing them back up underneath his rule. We have one king. We have one constitution and one law. It's called the Bible. And we have one flag. And we have one banner. And it is the cross. Where's our allegiance? And if there's anything that stands above that, I promise you it's a barrier to outsiders. The world's not looking for your nationalism. The world isn't looking for your patriotism. The world is looking for a king who will rule them well. And there's one, his name's Jesus. Do you represent him above all things? That's a hospitable message because it's saying, come to me. I don't have any partisan issues. I have Jesus. The king of the universe. The maker of all things. Who made all this and is redeeming it back to himself. And you have a significant role in it. Come to me. Oh, you who are weary and heavy laden. And he will give you rest. That, that's a hospitable message. But if, and I said this in the little video I posted this week. If you are posting trash on the interwebs. That doesn't have Jesus at the top. You're putting out a stop at the door sign. Be careful how you represent the king and his kingdom. If you're going to do that stuff, take any mention of Jesus off your profile. Because I promise you, I promise you, my Muslim friends see it. And they talk about it. But I thought you, but you say. And so is there anything in our 
unseen set of values that says stop. Do not enter. Third. Dadgum, I got eight minutes left. and I, This is the last point, but I... Oh. The church is the place. The church is the place where God Himself is the host. The church is the place where God Himself is the host. Appealing through us as His body to welcome all to become insiders through being reconciled back to God through Jesus. I know that's verbose. Because I'm verbose. I can't say that any other way. The church is the place where God Himself is the host, appealing through us, His body, to welcome all to become insiders through being reconciled back to God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you understand what it means to be an ambassador? It means you represent the one above you. United States ambassadors don't get to execute their own agenda. They execute the agenda of the President of the United States. I mean, they don't make their own laws. They don't make their own rules. They don't make their own strategies. They don't make their own tactics. The President tells them what to do, and they can do no more. Because they represent the President. We're called here ambassadors for Christ. Meaning, we don't get to make the rules. We don't get to make the strategy. We don't get to make the tactics. We represent Jesus. And he's the host welcoming nations to himself. And as his ambassadors, we represent him. And that's just part of the verse. God making his appeal through us. So we, whether we realize it or not, are making an appeal for God in Christ. What is that appeal? And so Paul says here, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so, the church is the place where God Himself, the host, appeals through us, His body, to welcome all to become insiders through being reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. So guess what? He's the host, you're His ambassador, and you're making an appeal to the world to be reconciled back to God through you and the message of the gospel you preach. Wow! Doesn't that change the face of hospitality a little bit? Is, is, is it's more than just saying good morning, welcome. That's vital. But it's not just good morning and welcome. It's welcome to the God of the universe. Who wants to bring you into himself through Jesus Christ. Ah, that doesn't even put a smile on your face. That gives, that gives evangelistic and missional meaning to making sure all people are welcome. Doesn't it? It's a game changer. So what are some obstacles in five minutes? Obstacles to hospitality. Uh, I have ten. I will go for five minutes and then stop. Number one, and they're all on the blog, you can read them. Obstacles to this kind of Christocentric hospitality. This Godward hospitality. Number one, treating the church like she exists to seek our own needs. Rather than seeing Jesus rule over us through his body, the church. I said this to you earlier. If you came to get something today, you came for the wrong reasons. You came to give the Lord something. I.e. yourself. But an obstacle hospitality is treating the church like she's there to get something from. Rather than being a place where you submit to God and Christ together. Which is one of the reasons the Bible teaches us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You can't submit to somebody for the sake of Jesus if you're coming to get something from them. 
you will seek to dominate them because that's how humanity works. Right? If you want something, you got to get an edge on them. you got to find an end with them. But if you seek to submit to them, you're not looking for anything. You're looking to give yourself. So an obstacle hospitality is coming in here to get something. Leave me alone. I'm not here for you. I'm here to get what somebody's going to lay out for me today. And if I like it, I might drop a check in the box. And if I don't, I'll go somewhere else. That's an obstacle to hospitality. Number two, not living in the Spirit's gifting. First Peter 4, 9-10 to tells us, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't grumble because you got to be hospitable. What does it look like? Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. An obstacle to hospitality is not living in the Spirit's gifting. See, how do I know my gifts? Do community life with each other. The Spirit makes gifts available and active as you do life together on mission, connected to a local church and submitted to a body of pastors. The gifting isn't there for you to have a gifting and to have an experience with the Lord. The gifts are not for you, they're for other people. Because they're Trinitarian in nature. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit serving one another were made in that image. And therefore we are to serve one another. And we only get gifts as we give things away to other people. You will only be gifted by the Spirit as you serve other people. Inside the fellowship, growing up into Christ. It's the only way you're going to have gifts. And therefore, not living in the Spirit's gifting is failing to show hospitality because you're not welcoming people to you to get what you have to give to them. Which takes us back to last week. It's a home issue welcoming people to yourself. Because I have something the Spirit gave me for you. Number three, management of our time so that God gets little and the body gets none. Time management. Four, You've heard me say this for a couple of weeks now. I want to say it again. Affinity-based love for people rather than Christocentric love for all, including our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Right? He said, even Gentiles love people like themselves. But you're my people, so therefore love your enemies. Meaning, we don't do small groups based on affinities. Because that's sinner love. Sinners do that. Jesus called us to a higher love. Christ's love. And how did Jesus love us? He died for his enemies too. All those who nailed him to a cross, he died that they might be saved. And he calls us to love like that. I mean, we've got to love quirky people like me. you got to love me. Get over it. And guess what? i got to love some of you. Right? And so we do life together not based on affinities, but based on a Christocentric love that even includes our enemies. Mm. Mm, God, some things I want to say. I'll move on. Number five. Creating an excluding culture. Creating an excluding culture. This is a way, it's an obstacle to hospitality. We create an excluding culture by valuing as primary peripheral issues as though they were central to the faith. Such as family-centric model of church versus other kinds. Well, what if I don't think... Listen, can we just say this to you? We don't do family worship at my house. Because we stink at it. 
It ain't cool. I can't play no music. I can't sing. My wife don't play no music. She can't sing. I'm an expositor. She can really sing better than me, but that's not our gift. I deal with Greek and Hebrew and exposition. I got teenagers, right? I, I take over. And we don't do family worship. Be like, if you don't family worship, you're not following the Lord. Well, we watch Man in the High Castle. Awesome, awesome series, right? We, You know what my boys love to do? They don't feel like we've had a day until we're all nestled together and hanging out together. And I would submit to you, that's not unspiritual. My boys like to be home. They're not hossing to go out to parties and get crazy. They want to be home. And we might not be singing, doing Bible study, but we're together. And when they go to bed, I pray for them. And they're getting older and don't want me laying on them in the bed at night. So I will still pray for them. And right. And so here's my point. Anything that's not biblical and front and center, if we set it up as front and center, we repel everybody who's not that. Does that make sense? Public school, private school, homeschooling. We're the homeschool church. Well, if you're the homeschool church, guess what? All us public school people ain't coming. Because you make me feel weird. You make me feel like I've sinned against the Lord somehow. Right? You get my drift? If you're not the private, it's not, it's none of those matter. They're irrelevant. Do you hear me? They're irrelevant. But if we hold them up as idols, everybody else not worshiping my little idol is not going to come. You tracking with me? So in other words, an obstacle to hospitality is creating an excluding culture based on peripheral issues that we set up as central. Does that even make sense? Let's not be that. Let's make sure the world is welcome in this room. Jesus will deal with their sin. He will straighten it out. He's not been unclear. But let's make sure they're welcome to walk up in here and feel loved and accepted because God is saying, come to me. And let's not set up any false barriers. I'm out of time. The clock just went dark. Feeling fear of being hurt. Fear of being hurt is a, is a barrier. Lack of another's first mindset. Having a me first mindset. At the Jolly House, we say me first is me last. That still doesn't work at dinner. It just turns into a fight. Because they're coming from football practice and they're hungry and, and starting at the wrong end of the line. And I'm just sitting there going, oh God, i got to eat. I'm dying. So thank you, Jesus. So having another's mindset, failing to understand the hard issues of our day through a Christian worldview, and then becoming peacemakers. We're so shallow in understanding difficult issues. Failing to apply the golden rule. So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want to sum up the law and the prophets? Treat everybody the way they need to be treated. If we don't do that, it's an obstacle to hospitality. Finally, failure to imitate God and welcoming sinners to be saved. And failure to literally welcome one another to corporate worship. Two applications out of Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Welcoming one another to worship and welcoming the world to Jesus. Right? If we're not doing those, we're obstacles to hospitality. Three Rivers Church, 
in Christ, we've been called to be the most open, happy, loving place on the face of the planet. And I'll say this too. We are light years better than we were five years ago. But we got light years to go. And that's okay. Jesus is saving his ugly bride. She's warty. She's ugly. But he promises he is going to clean her up and wash her with the water of the word. And he's going to present her to himself without spot or blemish. The day is coming where we will be perfect. And it will happen through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus' glory and our joy in so doing. So let me pray for us and then we're going to respond in worship because that's what Christians do. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray now that you will help us to worship well. We ask that you will help us to sing to you praise that is fitting for you and and be received by you, but also for our joy. You you are um, you are our joy, and we want to welcome you. We want to make sure you are properly welcomed. And we want to give you the stand. We want to say to you in our songs, "Have reign, have rule." Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reign and rule, that you would heal, fix, make right, order, give life, gift, all the things. You you have the stand. You have the stand. It's yours. We started that way and we were going to continue that way. So I ask that even through our singing, you would rule. We pray that through us, you would bring great things to the world. Use us as instruments of that. So Lord, through our mouths, through our songs, through our actions now, sit enthroned. Rule over us well and help us to have hearts to receive that. We pray in Jesus' name.